is the Cloud Enough Podcast, your launchpad for Amazon Web Services. Welcome to the Cloud Enough Podcast. My name is Michael. And my name is Andreas. We are brothers and freelancers focusing on Amazon Web Services. We do technical coaching, for example, for teams that start their journey with AWS. And infrastructure bootstrapping, typically based on our infrastructure as code templates for our clients worldwide. Every other week, we discuss a topic related to AWS here in the podcast. One of us prepares the topic, which is not known to the other one. So, Andreas, what's the subject of today? Michael, today um, I'd like to talk about the different API gateways that AWS offers. So there are five different types, and I want to go through them and compare them. Okay, so that sounds interesting. So basically giving us a short overview uh, when to choose which of the five uh, offerings, right? Exactly, yeah, that's my plan. Okay, so this is episode number 32, and we are recording this on November the 10th. And before we go into the topic, Andreas, I would like to um, announce one thing. Uh, we launched Cloudonaut Plus last week. So we had this special podcast episode to explain what it is. Um, so I will just quickly summarize this here. Um, it's our new offering where you get exclusive video content every week. Um, so we produce a, a new video every week for you. And you can also go through all the existing videos and the video that we release this week for our Cloudonauts Plus subscribers is a, um, I would say, in-depth introduction of the Instance Metadata Service version 2, so IMDS version 2. It's a way to enhance the security of your EC2 instances. And in this video, I will talk through what it actually is, why it is important, so what kind of attacks it, it prevents, and also what you have to do to switch. And I will give a demo um, about an attack that it prevents and I also um, provide a demo about a pitfall I was running into when running Docker containers using IMDS version 2. So if you are interested uh, in topics like this, um, please check out Cloudonaut Plus. You will find the link to um, the, the website in the show notes. And Andreas, I think we are ready for uh, comparing the API gateways. So let's get started. Cool, Michael. So um, one thing before I start, so there's a blog post that covers the same topic that we will now do uh, in this podcast episode. You will find a link in the show notes. And a special thing here is um, it is a blog post that I've written for the Cloudcraft blog. Cloudcraft is a very cool tool that you can use to draw AWS diagrams. So whenever you have to visualize your architecture, Cloudcraft is a really uh, cool thing to, to do so. And it's not only for uh, drag and dropping, uh, tra uh, drag and drop your uh, architecture, you can also import the resources from your AWS account and then the diagram gets created automatically. So that's very cool. So yeah, so we'll find a link to the blog post um, to the Cloudcraft blog in the show notes if you want to reread um, through the details that we're discussing today. Okay. Yeah, and as you as you might know, like if you are a reader of our blog, you know that we use the tool since I think more I think since the beginning, like for five years or so. So we are really fans of the tool, and we are very happy to to write a couple of blog posts for them this year. So um, check them out. It's really one of the 
I think the best tools to draw diagrams and it's the one that I usually use uh, if I'm not forced to do something else. So <laughs> Andreas, um, let's, let's get started. So let's talk about API gateways. Yes. So first of all, Michael, what would you say? What is an API gateway? So how would you describe it to someone who has never heard of that concept? So, I mean, I would, I think I, I first would say that I would talk about HTTP API gateways. So assuming that um, it's, it's something that, that sits between the client and your backend and does all kinds of things like, for example, it could do authentication. Uh, it might can handle authorization. It, it can might do some throttling stuff or um, maybe also uh, like transforming inputs and outputs. So it's basically kind of a middleware um, that sits between the client and your backend. And it can also combine multiple backends. And from the outside, it looks like one thing. But actually behind it, uh, it could be many, many different services. Um, so maybe that's what I think an API gateway is. Yes. So that's a very good summary, I would say. So maybe to put it in other words, it is an API front end. So it receives the API request. And um, one important aspect that I think you forgot to mention is it's also typically um, enforcing throttling. So you can do throttling per client or per um, customer, what have you. And that's typically another aspect of an API gateway. So you have that in front of your backend services. And the, the backend can then consist of a Lambda function, um, a container running on Fargate or an EC2 instance, or even maybe a machine running in your on-premises data center. So you can combine all of those endpoints behind an API gateway. Um, AWS offers five different types of API gateways. And um, there is um, the most mature one, the most maybe popular one is called API Gateway REST API. Some, some would say this is the classic API gateway on AWS. Um, so this was announced um, together with AWS Lambda, and um, this is really, um, yeah, the, the the classic API gateway. Then we have another API gateway. So it all it it belongs to the same AWS service. So it's the API gateway HTTP API. So this is the modern API gateway, I would say. Uh, and then there is another, um, um, yeah, part of that service API gateway WebSocket API. So this is a little bit special. Um, this uses, as the name implies, WebSockets. And then we have AppSync, uh, which is a bit special because it's uh, using GraphQL. And in theory, you could say the application load balancer is an API gateway, maybe a little bit limited, but it's an API gateway um, as well. So the API gateway, um, all of those um, do front your backend services, um, they do HTTP, TLS, they do, um, some of them do throttling, they, some of them do request validation, authentication, authorization, um, and so on. So this is the idea uh, of an API gateway. And I think um, all serverless architectures, or maybe, all, maybe almost all server archi serverless architectures are using an API gateway. But an API gateway is not limited uh, to a serverless architecture. It makes sense in other scenarios where you have microservices or um, when you have legacy applications that you want to um, make accessible from the internet, for example, then an API gateway can be uh, a good fit as well. Okay, uh, so Michael, anything 
uh, I've forgotten with introducing the API gateways on AWS. Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, but I like want to highlight the, the one use case that you mentioned. Um, so I think it's also a good way, like if you have a an existing application or legacy application, and you might have this like big one, big one application, the, the big monolith. And if you want to like kind of replace some parts of it with a more uh, like a rewrite certain parts of it, if you have an API gateway in front of it, you can basically just move certain paths of your API to the new the new system, the new architecture, while the rest still runs on the old architecture. So it also provides you lots of flexibility during the migration phase. Um, so one 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 migration way could be like at the beginning you have your big monolith exposed to the internet with an API. Then you basically introduce an API gateway in front of it, uh, but it's still the same implementation. And from this point on, you can then like gradually move implementations over to the new architecture uh, without, um, like in theory, without interrupting the end users. So there's lots of flexibility as, as soon as you have such an API gateway because it makes it uh, much easier to kind of switch the implementation behind it. Um, so that could also be a good use case, I think. Mm, absolutely. And um, maybe um, the thing with a serverless uh, architecture is, so if you use Lambda, an API gateway is basically something you need to be able to um, invoke that Lambda function without, without being forced to authenticate via identity and access management. So that's that's basically uh, probably why API gateways uh, are such, or this is such an important part in a serverless architecture. Um, okay, so um, let's dive into um, the different types of API gateways. So the naming is really confusing. So API gateway, AWS API gateway, this is the, I would say this is the service name. And then you have three different types of API gateways that you can choose from. Um, as I said, the first one is the REST API. So this is the most mature API gateway. Um, this is available since uh, 2015, so uh, about five years now. And um, as the name implies, this is for RESTful web services. So you define a REST API with an API schema, and then um, the, the API gateway um, yeah, acts as the front end for your backend services. Um, what is what is important, I would say, is um, if you're looking for an API gateway with the most features, with the most mature feature set, API gateway REST API is definitely the go-to service. Um, for example, an, an important uh, thing that you can implement with the API gateway REST API is uh, you can do user or tenant-based throttling. So that is something, Michael, you have implemented for Marbot, our software as a service offering. So maybe you can dive into uh, how this is working a little bit. Yeah, I can. But it's not uh, like just one one thing before I start. It's not easy. <laughs> so it's it's complicated. And the whole API gateway REST API is kind of complicated. Uh, and I think that's why we have a new version now. Um, so how does it work? Um, the throttling uh, works um, in combination with a feature called API keys. So what you can do in API gateway is you can generate API keys in the service itself. And those API keys can be linked to a usage plan. And this usage plan can you can define two different uh, limits. One is the like absolute number of requests someone could make in a certain amount of time. So this is the quota. So for example, you could say this customer is only allowed to make, 
I don't know, 1000 calls per day or something like this. And what you can also do is you can uh, throttle requests that, um, like for example, if more than one request per second is sent to you, you could throttle the rest of them. So those are the two features. There are quotas and there are uh, there's throttling. Um, and this works in combination with the API key. So basically based on the API key, you identify your customer and then you can throttle the, uh, each customer individually, which is very cool because if one customer uses the system like, for example, they have a script that's not um, like written with care. It makes lots of requests at the same time. Then they will not interrupt the other customers because only this customer is throttled um, because each API key is counted individually. So that's um, a pretty cool feature. There are limitations. So you cannot uh, use this for large customer bases. So I would say then that the limit here is something around 10,000 API keys that you can generate. It's not very well documented. Uh, we went a couple of rounds with support to increase our limits. So we are now uh, somewhere, I think, below 5,000 or at around 5,000 API keys. Um, but uh, if you look in the internet and search the AWS forums, it seems to be possible to increase the limit to 10,000, but then it, it kind of stops. So it's not a good solution for, like, if you have a, a consumer application, then it's not a good choice. Um, it, it only works for B2B kind of companies where you have less than 10,000 customers, basically. Um, so that's limitations and, and yeah, but at least it's, it, it exists. So that's also pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. And I think I want to highlight here, um, it is really important to have such a user or tenant based throttling in place because in production, there will be this one customer that accidentally or by purpose sends you a lot of requests and will then impact your your um, your infrastructure or just your costs on AWS. So if you're running on Lambda and stuff, it might scale automatically, um, but you have to pay for it. So it probably you don't want it to scale in, a, in that way. So that is, I think, uh, important to remember. Okay, yeah, you mentioned it already, Michael. I would say um, the, the most important criticism of the REST API is the user experience <laughs> is really, um, yeah, uh, it's really, let's say bad. <laughs> so it's really complicated and cumbersome to configure an API gateway REST API. So um, the documentation is um, not that good. And also there are so many different options that are available, so many things you can do. It's really complicated to get it right. And every time I have to do, um, I'm going and search through documentation and through examples to find out uh, how how this whole thing is working. So I think it's it's one of the, the most complicated uh, services um, from a configuration point of view. And um, I think that is, um, that is probably the downside. On the other side, it's very powerful because it has a lot of features. Okay, so yeah, that's about the REST API. Then um, AWS announced an alternative to that. And this is called, so, so to, to, to increase the confusion, it is also API Gateway, part of the API Gateway service, but it's called HTTP API. So when you create an API Gateway, you can choose between those options, REST API and HTTP API. And um, of course, it's also, or not of course, but it, it is also about RESTful APIs. So you define um, the, the REST API schema and then... Um, the HTTP API answers the request and forwards them to your backend services. Um, AW, 
the HTTP API is kind of new, so it was announced uh, in December 2019 and is available since March 2020, so just a few months old. And they started with a minimum uh, feature set. So HTTP API is not feature complete when you compare it to a REST API on AWS. Um, but AWS promised and also partly delivered um, that they will catch up with the missing features. So they announced a couple of things um, this year already. So I think you can see progress there. Um, what's the what's the promise uh, of HTTP API? So the first promise is um, um, lower uh, request latency, and the other is it's more cost effective compared to the REST API. So that's basically the, the reasons for uh, using HTTP API. And on top of that, I really have to say that the developer experience, so the complexity of configuring an HTTP API um, is really much, much better compared to what we have with the REST API. So they really focused on um, the developer experience here. That is what I really, really like. Um, um, on the other hand, yeah, some features are still missing. We will discuss that later um, when we compare the different uh, options in general. Anything you have to add, Michael? I'm, I'm working on a project this week where we actually try to measure the, the latency improvement um, when we front API gateway in front of EC2 instances. Um, so I'm, I'm, very, uh, I'm looking forward to the results. Mm-hmm. Um, to see if it really makes a difference or not. And also, we based on these numbers, we will decide if we migrate or not in this project. So, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, interested in, in this uh, latency test that I have to do this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, maybe if I can share some results after that. Yeah, cool. So, Michael, um, that is a good point. So, um, maybe I have to um, add another thing here. So, there's a blog post because I have reviewed the API Gateway HTTP APIs uh, in June. And there's a blog post and even a podcast episode, so episode 21, um, that goes into the very details of the HTTP API. And there are also compared um, the latency improvements between um, HTTP API and REST API. And back then, um, I measured about a latency reduction of about 15 to 20%. So this is um, what I have um, calculated um, back from that um, benchmark that I did uh, back then. So yeah, I will add links to that into the show notes as well. So that might be interesting. Um, The blog post is not 100% up to date. As I said, AWS released a bunch of features um, during the last month. So it's not 100% accurate, but I think it's uh, still interesting, especially the the latency comparison and and some details about HTTP APIs. Okay, that sounds good. So, Andreas, there's one one more thing for the API Gateway service, right? So, uh, it, it can also do WebSocket APIs. So, how <laughs> does this work? Yeah. So, this is an an interesting um, addition here. So, this is this is different. So, the API Gateway comes with a third option when you create an API Gateway, and this is called the WebSocket API. Um, so typically, when you do HTTP APIs or REST APIs, you have a request response model. So your clients, they send HTTP requests to your backend, and then they get an answer back. And uh, this is how everything works. If the client needs to update information, the client needs to pull for new information. 
The API Gateway WebSocket API is different. It uses WebSockets. So WebSockets, I would describe them, this is an, you have an open connection you, or keep the connection open between the client and the server, in this case, the API Gateway. And both the server and the client can send messages over this connection. So you, the client can send a message to the API Gateway but it's also possible to do it the other way around. So you can send messages directly to the client. So you can push messages to the client. So this is, I think, one of the uh, important features here. And the API Gateway WebSocket API is basically a service that helps you to build um, an, in or an architecture with uh, WebSockets in place. Um, so for example, what you can do is um, you can have a WebSocket API and then a Lambda function writing to a database or stuff like that. And um, it goes in both directions. So the API Gateway invokes the Lambda function, but the Lambda function can also send messages to the WebSocket API, which will then deliver that to a specific client. So basically, the WebSocket API knows about all the connected clients, and you have something like a client ID that you can use to deliver messages to individual clients. And this is maybe important here. So it's a one-to-one -one connection. So um, it's, it's um, a little bit more complicated to implement something like a broadcast because to do so, you have to go through the list of all open connections and send them an in individual message, basically. So that is maybe important. Yeah, and there's, there's one alternative to, to that approach, API Gateway WebSocket API, and that's the approach that I uh, used a couple of times when I wanted to use WebSockets. And this is just using IoT Core. And the limitation that you mentioned um, basically does not exist there. So you can also have a topic there where many clients subscribe to. So you can kind of fan out to, to all of your users, for example, if you would like to do that. Um, and I also checked the pricing just um, like in the, in the background. And the IoT Core pricing model is, is very similar, but it's cheaper. Mm -hmm. So the, the per message price is exactly the same for both uh, services, but the, the connection minute is um, eight cents for the IoT core service compared to 25 cents with the Amazon API gateway. So it's um, a significant uh, pricing uh, difference here, I would say. So mm -hmm. not sure if, if that really is worth the, the money that you spend. I mean, if you have really lots of connections, you, you might want to choose IoT core here. Um, I think it's a little bit easier to use um, so to yeah to get that connection up and running but yeah that's a good point so basically if you say it like that there are maybe not five if I could face because I forgot to mention IoT core then <laughs> so we have six yeah okay. I wouldn't call it an API gateway I mean it's yeah uh, but it, yeah if you compare it it's very similar to the WebSocket API so yeah okay cool yeah what I um I will put a link into the show notes because um, there's a blog post uh, from 2019 um, where I describe an architecture that uses the uh, WebSocket API together with a Kinesis stream and Lambda functions to implement um, a serverless architecture. So if you're interested in uh, a use case, an example use case for that, and even a, an example that you can uh, try for yourself, um, you will find links to that in the show notes. It's called Web Serverless WebSocket API. Okay, so the next service is called AppSync. And AppSync is um, a little bit different than what we have discussed so far. Um, it is also an API gateway, but um, instead of building a REST API, 
what you do with AppSync is you build a GraphQL API. So Michael, um, I think you are quite into that topic. Can you explain um, what GraphQL is all about? Um, yeah, so I can try at least. So I think that the key idea here is that um, you aim for um, the goal where the client, like the, the, for example, the web browser, makes a single request. And with that single request, it fetches all the data it needs to render the page. So in if you have a traditional um, REST API as your backend, then it is very likely that your client does like an a, like 10 or even 15 or, or maybe even more requests to, to get all the data to render the page. And the problem with that approach is that with each request, you pay kind of a uh, the overhead fees. So you, you, you consume battery. If it's a mobile device, you consume um, network traffic. And it also might, you might add some latency. So the goal of GraphQL here is, and I think that's why it was actually invented, that the client makes a single request and the client actually defines what data it needs. So um, the, the client wants to show a list of users, but it only displays the name field and the email field, for example, then it only asks for those two fields. It it doesn't see then in the response the address, for example. So it it's really an optimization and the client defines what data it wants to, uh, what data it needs, and then the server responds uh, accordingly. Um, so I think that's kind of the idea. And the the other big benefit is that it is completely a typed API. So you have to define your API using a schema, and therefore it is very easy to generate the clients out of that. And so this is kind of what you have if you use Swagger or uh, Open API spec um, with REST APIs. Um, that's kind of an option, an optional thing. But with, with GraphQL, there is there is no way to kind of work around that. That you have to define your API uh, in a in a schema. So I think those are the the big benefits. Um, there might be some others, but uh, yeah. So it it's definitely a technology that is that is used by or is driven by front end uh, development um, to to make this a little bit um, like more. Uh, efficient the whole data um, transmit and 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 fetching phase yeah yeah so there's one thing i want to add michael so you already mentioned that the client basically sends a request to the api and asks for all the information that it, the client needs to display for example a web page or render a web page and um, and one important aspect of that is oftentimes you have nested data structures or relations between data structures and typically in a, in a REST API, you have to first, for example, get me the list of all users. And then after you get the response, you ask a second time, now give me, I don't know, the user details for each of those users. And then you have to do a second request. But that means you have the round trip between client and server because the client has to wait for the answer from the server to be able to do the second uh, request. Uh, and then this is um, yeah, adding more and more latency to everything. And this, the special thing with GraphQL is um, you can do that all at once. So you can say um, there's a relation between, I don't know, user and user details. And I want to have the list and also fetch me the information from, from this uh, relation. So I think that is important. Yeah, I agree. And because of the high latency between the client and the backend, uh, this is a very bad a bad way of doing it, like fetching data, like once um, you receive the, the, the list, for example. And... The, the other way of, of doing that is like what lots of people are doing is this kind of backend for frontend approach where you would make this aggregation on a backend um, that is built for that frontend, but it's on the like on the server side. 
and, and this will reduce latency again. But if if this is like a, a use case that you run into often in your application, then you 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 could benefit from GraphQL. Yeah, mm. I agree. So I think yeah, you could say it is um, GraphQL is the API um, built for mobile applications, especially. So whenever it is also important to reduce the number of API calls and uh, avoid network latency. I think that is especially important. So for all front-end stuff, definitely worth a look. Okay, so um, a few words about AppSync. So AppSync is a managed service to deploy those GraphQL APIs. Um, so it is around for about two years now. <clears throat> and I think from a personal point of view, I think the user experience as a developer when using AppSync is it's really easy to to use. And what I like especially is, Michael, you mentioned it already, you start with the GraphQL API specification. And then I think what uh, AppSync is doing quite well is somehow you need to now, you have your app, your, your, your GraphQL API specification, and you have to connect it with Lambda functions, um, API services. And... Um, this is done, I think, very in a very cool way because um, there is no... Basically, you don't have to specify anything in your API specification, but you have a configuration on top of that um, that allows you to connect those two things. And this is something I like very much about um, the way AppSync is, um, yeah, is working in this, uh, the user experience from a developer point of view. Yeah, I agree. And one benefit of GraphQL is that you already mentioned that it integrates with Lambda functions, for example, and also with it can also make uh, just HTTP calls. But it also integrates with some AWS service natively. So, for example, you could uh, make a DynamoDB query directly from within AppSync. So you don't need a Lambda function for that, and that is obviously an advantage because with API Gateway, what you do is you invoke a Lambda function, and the Lambda function um, queries DynamoDB. So there is this additional latency in invoking the Lambda function. With GraphQL, you don't need this Lambda function. So you can basically directly from AppSync make a query to DynamoDB. So that that is more cost-effective because you don't pay for the Lambda function. And it is also uh, more performant because you don't execute the Lambda function at all. So that's also pretty cool. And it works with a couple of, of services. Um, so that, that's also um, nice. It, it integrates more um, into those serverless services from AWS. Yes, to be fair, you can do similar things with the REST API as well. And also HTTPI um, added some uh, integrations with some AWS services recently. But I think, um, yeah, the level of integration, so how deep does the integration go, uh, is um, yeah much more advanced with AppSync. That's definitely the case. Yeah, and now I'm, I like, I kind of... Uh mentioned that is a cool feature <laughs> the the downside is that there's this um so you you basically define velocity templates to make the calls to dynamodb and 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 pass the response so you will have to deal with velocity templates to integrate the services mm. which is at the beginning a little bit clumsy but i mean you get used to it mm. um, so that's kind of the downside yeah yeah so i think for for simple use cases where you have a crud application this can be really, really helpful, and it it's yeah, it's cheaper, and it's also much faster than invoking a lambda function in between. So that's definitely the the advantages. Okay, so Michael, um, I think we covered AppSync. So the next thing is um, that the fifth um, API gateway on AWS. So I would say 
um, the application load balancer. So maybe it's not really an API gateway, but at least it's not marketed as an API gateway. But I think it provides a lot of the functionality um, than the options do that we have discussed so far. And um, the interesting thing here is um, it is cost-effective and uh, very simple to use. Um, so the application load balancer in general, this is um, a layer 7 load balancer that understands HTTP, HTTPS, and it forwards the requests typically to containers or virtual machines. So that's typically what you do with an application load balancer. But um, there is also an integration with Lambda functions. So the application load balancer is capable of invoking a Lambda function as well. So that means um, you could say you can build similar things that you could build with an API gateway um, with an application load balancer. Um, of course, um, the application load balancer does not provide the same feature set. For example, um, you cannot transform requests or responses. Um, authentication and stuff is also very limited. Uh, it's available in, in for some cases. But yeah, the feature set is, of course, not um, catching up with uh, an API gateway, REST API, of course. But for simple use cases, it's definitely an option. And I can give you an example. Um, I used the application load balancer as an API gateway recently. Um, the thing was, um, there was a, yeah, a legacy web application that was running um, behind the load balancer, and we used the application load balancer for that. And then we wanted to add an additional feature to that legacy web application. This was, uh, we wanted to be able to send SMS messages. And um, what we did was um, we, we implemented that feature into a Lambda function and used SNS to send the um, SMS messages. And the Lambda function um, was then placed behind the application load balancer as well. So you could send messages to um, the Lambda functions by uh, requesting uh, a special path on the application load balancer. So this was a very, very simple use case, of course, um, but I think that can be helpful in some situations. And the benefit was we, did, we didn't have to add another resource to our infrastructure, to our architecture, and it was yeah, it works quite nicely and um, without any additional um, complexity. So this was a very cool experience. Okay, Andreas. So now we have those five different API gateways. And what's your recommendation? So which one should I use? So is this even a question that, that you can answer? Or like how would the listener choose the correct, um, or not the correct one, but how, how can I choose the best option for my use case? Yes, yeah, so I think the first question, that, that that's the simplest part of the answer is, <laughs> so you think about which type of API gateway do I need? So do I want to build a REST API? Do I want to build a GraphQL API um, or um, is a WebSocket something that can be beneficial for my use case? So I think based on that, um, already it's, yeah, you, the, 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 compare, the, the, the choice goes from five different options to maybe three um, options or even one option. So that can be um, the first thing um, to look at. And then I think, it really depends. <laughs> so if you want to build a REST API, um, so typically I, I would say you go e either API Gateway REST API or e API Gateway HTTP API. And the thing is, if you 
if you are fine with the feature set of an HTTP API, so if there's nothing missing that you really need, then I think it is a good choice to go with the modern option and use the HTTP API. However, um, I think one important thing that is really missing is the throttling, so the, the user or tenant-based throttling, and um, this can be maybe an important aspect. So, by the way, the blog post contains a comparison table uh, which really compares a bunch of different categories uh, and compares the different options available. So this couldn't help maybe a little bit already. Um, so I would say, yeah, I would have a look at what do I really need from my API gateway and does HTTP API fulfill those requirements? Uh, if possible, I would use HTTP API. Um, but if not, uh, I think the REST API is still a good choice um, to go with because, yeah, you have the full feature set here. Okay, great. So the answer basically is have a look at the table that, that you created um, and, and then figure out what features you need and based on the table um, decide um, which option kind of works for you. And then I think you can, I mean, if you are lucky, there's only one option left. And, and if not, then choose the more modern approach. So that could be like the summary here. Yeah, cost is maybe also a category to look for. So um, yeah, costs are different for the different scenarios. It's also hard to compare <laughs> because it's hard to compare, for example, ALB with an API gateway. And AppSync uses a, another approach. So basically, typically with AppSync, you have less requests because you bundle them. Yeah, so it's hard to compare costs, but this could be a, a valid category as well, I would say. Okay, I see. So if there are more than two options, then you can also take the cost into account kind of, or you kind of re-architect your architecture. I mean, that's also always an option. I mean, if you, you, you can create an architecture that is more cost effective. Um, so uh, again, I think there's no easy answer here, Andreas. Um, no, no, definitely not. So anything that is uh, missing, anything that you want to add here? No, I think um, we covered um, or we compared the different available options. So I think, I think, first of all, it's important to know about all the options that are available so that you can make a good um, decision. And yeah, check out the blog post with um, the comparison table. And if you have any questions, uh, if you have a specific scenario and you are deciding for one of the available API gateway types, so feel free to contact me. Um, so we'll find Twitter or LinkedIn or email addresses in the show notes as well. So just reach out. I'd be happy to assist you or discuss with you which option could fit your uh, use case. Yeah, great, Andreas. And, and thanks very much for, for comparing um, the, the different options and also summarizing them here for us on the podcast. Um, I think it's time to, to, to close the episode. Um, so we have uh, one more thing uh, to share with you and, and this is kind of uh, helping us to make the podcast uh, more visible to other uh, AWS users so if you if you're listening to the podcast on Apple Podcasts we would be very happy if you could leave us a review um, so this helps us to make the podcast more visible to new users that start with their AWS journey and besides that we would be also very happy to hear from you so you can send us uh, an email. You can also reach out, out to us on Twitter. So you will find all the details in the show notes. So show notes are um, usually visible in your podcast app that you use to listen to this episode. And there you will find all the links, uh, our email address, our Twitter links. And uh, you will also find the link to the, uh, to the blog post where you see the table. And so there's a lot of additional information in the show notes. So definitely check them out. And 
Um, yeah, so we will see us again in two weeks with another episode of the podcast. If you are interested in, in more AWS content, um, check out our blog uh, where you get a new article every week. And also, if you're interested in video content, check out Cloud and Plus where you get a video every week. So there's a lot of things to learn um, while AWS changes so quickly. Um, it's basically, you are never done uh, learning about AWS. So we will continue to produce the content that you need to stay ahead the game and uh, understand the, the, the latest changes to the platform. So thanks for listening and thanks Andreas for preparing the topic. Thank you. Bye.